when it comes to victorious living, you don't need something you don't already have. Not more faith, not more deliverance. All you have to do is follow her heart. I'll show you. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler here broadcasting live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Join us live sometime, will you? We'd love to have you. And if you're tuning in on the podcast, please don't forget to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. You know, I don't miss a show. I'm here just about every week because of the generosity of those who give. If you are one of them, thank you. We receive messages every day because of what you help us do. I want to share one from Patricia on Facebook. She wrote about a past filled with abuse and the constant heartbreak and insecurity it caused her. Then she said, Your ministry shows love and encouragement in a way I can understand. In some ways, you have saved my life. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Patricia. If you have a story that you'd like to share, please let me know. I'd love to hear. Contact me through my website at kylewinkler.org or send me a message on one of my social media channels. And of course, if you'd like to help us receive more stories like this, because I'm not doing this alone, then please consider a tax-deductible gift of support. You may give at kylewinkler.org. Okay. Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I love this verse because it says that you and I are God's work through and through. First, we were each made in his image with natural born gifts and talents and passions. Then, when we placed our faith in Jesus, the moment of our salvation, God recreated each of us. He kept his original design, of course, but he cut out the bad. We explored that in the last message. He removed your sin nature. That's a huge work, but that's not even the half of it. He added things to you. One of the biggest most consequential, most influential, even the most sin-defeating things that he gave you at your salvation is one of the things that so many Christians almost demand that you deny. It's your heart. Now, nobody's saying to deny your physical heart. We're not talking about your physical heart here. Denying that would be a quick way to heaven. What we're talking about, what the Bible talks about, is the metaphorical heart. Both in Greek and Hebrew, it's your inner self made up of desires and inclinations. You've probably heard it from a preacher before. Maybe you've heard it from me. I know that I've said it before in the past. You know, teachers' beliefs aren't just frozen in time when they start to teach or they start to preach especially when you began fairly young like I did. I wrote my first book at 29, so my thoughts and beliefs on some things have certainly changed since then, and they will continue to. But preachers often warn, don't follow your heart. Don't trust your heart. 
Just Google, should a Christian follow their heart? And see what comes up. Actually, I'll save you the time because I did it for you. Here are some quotes from some of the top articles on trusting your heart when it comes to being a believer. One of them says, follow your heart is the sort of sloganeering that can be used to excuse any juvenile impulse. You know, sin's just going to run amok if you tell people to do that. It's basically what they're saying. Another one says, it sounds a bit spiritual, maybe to some degree biblical. The only problem is you won't find anything remotely close to that in God's word. Um, I'm going to have to disagree for reasons that you're going to see. I understand that these authors, when people say this, they're responding to the secular trend that tells everyone to follow their heart. You hear that in culture all the time. Trust your heart. Follow your heart. And for some reasons we're going to get into in a couple minutes, you're going to see why that's good advice to tell unbelievers, don't trust your heart. But it's actually bad advice, really bad advice for believers. The reasons Christians disperse this bad advice is not because they are bad people. Please understand, I'm not vilifying anybody here, otherwise I'd have to vilify my younger self. Like I said, I used to say the same. And it wasn't because I was some angry street corner sign waving legalist. I did it, and others do it, for the same reason that people say we're still sinners saved by grace, or for the same reason people still beg for the Holy Spirit to come closer to us, or for the same reason that people believe they constantly and consistently need a fresh cleansing. Christians tell other Christians not to follow their heart because they are mixing the old and new covenants. Believers in the Apostle Paul's day did this all the time, which is why Paul instructed to rightly divide the word, to separate the covenants, old and new. That's why Paul warned that adding even a sprinkle of law to the truth of grace is as good as living under a curse and makes Jesus, makes the cross of no effect. You see, anytime someone says, don't follow, don't trust your heart, they always back it up with the same old scriptures. And I do mean old. They use scriptures that always come from the Old Testament. Genesis 6-5 is one of them. It says that the intention of humankind's heart is evil continuously. And the Psalms, David is heard praying that God would create in him a clean heart. Probably the most popular verse people use, though, is Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? People also like to point to some words of Jesus. In Matthew 15, he says that from the heart come evil thoughts and behaviors. So yes, if you're doing a simple word study for heart throughout all of the Bible, then you might conclude things like the heart is evil, it's wicked, it's awful, produces nothing good. Definitely don't follow it. 
But again, that's why Paul says to rightly divide the word. And the way to do that for these scriptures or any scriptures really is to ask yourself two questions. Who is this speaking to? And is it speaking to people before or after the cross? If you apply those questions to any of the verses I just mentioned, including the words of Jesus, the answer is simple. They are speaking to unbelievers who have not yet been transformed by the power of the cross. Unbelievers who have not yet had their sin nature cut away. Oh, but for those who have, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, they received what the prophets foretold. Look at what God said through the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 11.19, I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. And here's what that's going to do, verse 20. So they will obey my decrees and regulations. This wasn't a one-off comment either. He says it again in Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. And again, here's the results, verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You see, all the way back in the Old Testament, God promised that one day he would remove our wicked hearts that are inclined to disobey and replace it with a new heart that is inclined to obey. And that's precisely what the Apostle Paul confirmed happens with your salvation. In Romans 2.29, he says it, No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And that change of heart in you that the Spirit produced does just what God said it would. In Romans 6.17, Paul said, You who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. So let me rightly divide this for you. In humanity's natural condition before the cross, without salvation, our hearts are inclined to do bad. But after the cross, ones who are recreated in Christ through salvation, our hearts are good and inclined to do good. That's not something to deny, distrust, or diminish. No, according to the Bible, A Christian's heart should be trusted, followed, and promoted because it's the heart of God. You see why it's so important to get this rightly dividing thing down? Do you see why it's important to understand your exchanged identity? You were created anew in Christ to do the good things he planned for you. So let's talk about some of these good things. The prophet said your new heart will incline you to obey. Paul said you'll be obedient from the heart. In Romans 2, he says that God's law is written on our hearts, so that both Jews and Gentiles, all of us, naturally obey it. Well, what does that mean? What are these good things that we do? What are we obeying? What is this law written on our hearts? 
This is where people get confused all over again, and it's another opportunity for mixture. It's where people start to judge other Christians incorrectly because they hear words like obedience and law, and they automatically think the law of Moses, including the 613 rules starting with the Ten Commandments. So someone might look at another Christian and think, hmm, doesn't look like they're a real Christian. They're not obeying. Look, they've got a tattoo. Or look, they're doing yard work on the Sabbath. Or, oh, they're dining with wicked people. Now, of course, they're cherry-picking the laws they're using to judge. Otherwise, they'd have to condemn themselves, too, because there's a good chance they're wearing clothing made of two different fabrics, which the law forbid. They probably enjoy eating some sort of shellfish or pulled pork sandwiches forbidden by the law. These days, I don't know how they could get by without borrowing money without interest forbidden by the law. And at least one lustful thought probably popped into their mind in the last 24 hours, if not the last half hour or less. The Bible says you fail in one of those laws and you're guilty of breaking them all. The 613 laws of Moses were not meant to be obeyed forever. That's why the laws written on our hearts are not the laws of Moses, not even the Ten Commandments. They aren't even some sort of new and improved law coming from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount or something. They aren't even the knowledge of right and wrong, which came because of Adam, not because God wanted us to have it. I mean, reread the Genesis story there. We got it from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not because God wanted us to have that. So what's written on our hearts then? It's God's law of love. Love God, love people, which includes loving yourself, by the way. Jesus said the entire law is summed up in that. Paul said it too. All the law is fulfilled in this command, love your neighbor as yourself. And on a little bit of a side note here, I get critics. Critics. They respond to my social media posts especially. Especially the ones about how God loves us so much and doesn't require performance from us. Inevitably, someone posts the verse that says, faith without works is dead. Or something about how we're saved unto good works. Maybe even the verse I started the message with, that we were created to do good works. They like to say what Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. One person recently added, that's the Bible. As if the handful of scriptures that I rattled off in my video or something didn't come from the Bible or were somehow trumped by a single command of obedience. Anyway, of course, that's what the Bible says. I don't deny that. But again, context is key. And in every place in the New Testament that talks about obedience or works, read a few verses before or after. It's always talking about either loving people, that's the work of faith, or loving God through your faith in Jesus. Love and faith, those are the laws written on our hearts.
But upholding these aren't something we have to strive so hard to do either. Because the amazing thing about the new heart is that it includes God's inclinations and desires. You see, in the Old Testament, the people of a wicked heart were demanded to love. It took them effort to obey. In the New Testament, people of a new heart are given love, and it takes effort to disobey. Romans 5.5 says that God poured his love into our hearts. Romans 6.17 says we are slaves to righteousness. This is all why Paul said we are made obedient from the heart. It's something we were given, which comes out of us naturally. You can't help but love God when you know his love for you. You can't help but love others when you know his love for you. And you can't help but treat yourself right when you know his love for you. If you want to talk about morality and such, love covers all. It comes from the heart. So follow your heart. But Kyle, how do I know if what I desire is from my new heart and not my flesh? To be safe, shouldn't I follow a written code of conduct with black and white rules so I know what to do? Well, I guess it makes sense if you still believe you are a sinner in the hands of an angry God, but that's not the case anymore. Remember, we looked at that in the last message. Besides, a code of conduct is impossible to follow perfectly, which is what the law of Moses was meant to prove. It was never a strategy for success. It was meant only to keep people from comparing themselves to others, thinking themselves better than others, and realizing their need for a savior. It was meant to show you can't do it. Not to please God through perfection. Being spirit-led, heart-led, that's the only thing that produces real successful, victorious living. Even though the way to it is not spelled out through commands written in stone. Still, Paul did provide a guide to check your leadings to know if they are from the spirit or the flesh. Things that ought to be obvious. In Galatians 5, 18, he says, But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, among other sins, he goes on to say. And I'd add to that list fear as a product of the flesh. Paul said in his other letters that we've not been given the Holy Spirit to become slaves again to fear. Then he contrasts these fruits of the flesh with fruits of the Spirit. So if you need to know what something from God feels like, or sounds like, or looks like, or produces, and these ought to be fairly obvious too, but here you go. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Following your heart looks like following impulses, desires, and wants that are loving and joyful and kind and gentle and so on. You know, if you feel a sudden desire to give to somebody, that's a sure sign it's from the heart and not your flesh. The flesh is stingy and only looks out for number one. The spirit is generous. It doesn't have fear of lack. It knows that God provides. So it's not afraid to give. So if you have a sudden desire to give, you don't need to check with your head to see if it's God or not. Don't be head-led. Your mind's probably going to talk you out of it. Unless, of course, it's motivated by ego or you wanting to get some kind of credit for giving. In that case, then the giving is worthless. You might as well not. So don't trust your flesh, of course. I mean, that's the right message. Don't follow your flesh. Don't trust your head. But your heart isn't your flesh. It's not rooted in what the flesh is rooted in. It doesn't produce what the flesh produces. So go ahead and trust it and follow it. And enjoy all the good fruit that comes from it. I'll give you some examples of following your heart. These might surprise you about just how easy it is. Just a few days ago, I posted something on my social media, something that I quickly wrote in the morning. It came from my heart. It just really flowed. Often what happens when I'm writing from the heart or speaking from the heart, There's a word of hope and encouragement that's definitely from the heart. Well, an hour or two after I posted it, a lady who follows me on social media told me how she shared it to her feed and then received a comment from a friend who follows her about how helpful it was to her current situation. And the lady who told me this was so happy It sounded like that she was so easily used by God. She said, I don't even know why I did it. I just shared it. I told her that's part of being obedient from the heart. The impulse to share a hopeful, loving, encouraging word without even thinking about it. For no other motivation than just no reason at all but to share. is an example of heart-led living. I'm telling you, when you live from the heart, you're just going to do good things at times without even thinking about it. You're going to naturally share your testimony to the right person at the right time. You're going to want to pay for somebody something at the right time. You're going to have the right words to say when you need them. You're even going to know what opportunities to take and pass without obligation or compulsion. You'll just do it. You'll just do what comes naturally because it's in you often not knowing why you did it. It's an automatic response of the heart. Here's another example. I was talking with a college-aged student. He had three different 
Bible schools in mind, and he was asking me for advice on which one I thought he should attend. Of course, I had my opinion, but I told him to be spirit-led, not pressure-led or money-led or opportunity-led. Well, I saw him a couple months later, and I asked him for an update. I said, did you choose one? Did you get accepted at one? And he said yes, and it happened to be the one that I felt was the best fit for him. But then he said, sheepishly, looking down, but I didn't apply to any of the others. I only applied to that one. And I could see and hear in his voice that he was kind of ashamed of that, like he felt he was being lazy. So I told him to resist that fear or that feeling. I've found that for a Christian, as long as it's not because of fear, the passion or the lack of passion to do something often isn't because of the flesh. But it's a motivation of the heart, a way the Spirit leads. I learned that for myself some years ago, especially early in the ministry. You know, when you're feeling the need to take every opportunity so that you don't miss out on something. I felt obligated to go to every ministry, networking, or social event. Make sure I met every person possible who might open doors for me. Well, sometimes I just didn't feel like going. I didn't feel like making that phone call. I didn't feel. And then I'd beat myself up about it. And I think, oh, I'm being lazy. It's my introverted personality coming out again. I got to be better, got to do better. And then finally, you know what I realized? God has brought me some pretty great opportunities without having to do anything out of compulsion or obligation or attend every event, meet every person, or apply for every opportunity just because of the fear of missing out. I've learned to trust my heart. I've learned that if there's a joy and passion and energy on it, I go for it. Even if there's a little trepidation at times. I'll do it afraid if, if there's that joy and energy and passion on it. But if I'm really struggling to want to do it, then maybe it's because I don't need to do it not because something's wrong with me. So that's how I encouraged this student. I said, don't beat yourself up that you didn't apply for other schools. The Bible says that God works in us both to will and do according to his good pleasure. He motivated you to do just what you needed to do. He led you to apply to the place that you needed to apply to. Without Exhausting yourself trying to apply to everywhere. Trust that. Now, I'm not saying that you can't make mistakes in this area. I'm not saying that you can't miss it. I'm not saying that you can't mistake your heart for your flesh and vice versa. Of course, we're not perfect in any of these areas. Learning to trust God and hear God and sense God and his leadings is a lifelong adventure, yes. But the great thing about relationship with God, having God live in us, is that if you do miss something, he's here with you. He's so good that he's going to get you back on track and he's going to do it by leading you from the heart.
So follow your heart. That's the key to doing what you need to do. That's the key to doing what you want to do. Uh Uh-oh. Did that cause alarm bells to go off in your mind? Doing what you want to do, Kyle. No, that's dangerous. That's the flesh. Only if you still believe you have a sin nature that wants to sin. That'd be the only reason that you think it's dangerous. But I haven't met a Christian yet who wants to sin, even though we still do it at times. Every DM and email and letter message that I get on the topic of sin comes from a Christian that doesn't want to do it. They ask for how to stop doing it. Most people want a strategy. Help me stop. What are the 10 steps? Or they want a prayer. Deliver me of this. Yeah, sometimes some people ask, is this a sin or not? But again, they're checking on it because they don't want to sin. That desire comes from your new nature, your new heart. That's why I can say, following your heart allows you to do what you want to do. My friend Rick Manis explained this the best that I heard. And it's a great way to conclude everything that I've been saying about your change of heart. Rick quoted the frequent criticism that grace allows you to do whatever you want to do. And to that he said, yes, finally. I can love God and love people like I've always wanted. I can live by faith, trusting God like I always wanted. I can live with the empowerment of God's approval like I always wanted. I can be holy like I always wanted. Come on, Christian, isn't that what you've always wanted to do? Well, part of God's work in you is that he gave you a new heart that wants to do what he wants. That's the evidence of it. So don't deny your heart. Don't distrust your heart. Follow your heart. You know, behind most of our issues and insecurities are lies. Lies about who God is. Lies about who you are. Lies about what you have. Lies about what you don't have. In this message, I just uncovered the truth about a big one. But of course, there are plenty more. That's why I wrote my book, Shut Up Devil, silencing the 10 lies behind every battle you face. And lies are behind all those battles, as I said. I live with a lifetime of them that caused a lifetime of problems for me. I go through them in here. I also go through the truth that I discovered about them and how to shut them up. It's what I lead you through in this very personal book. You'll discover the sneaky ways the enemy gets into your mind, the sneaky things he whispers into your mind that sound good at times, but are lies disguised in truth. And then I'm going to give you the sure way to shut him up so you can finally live confident and free. Shut Up Devil is available wherever books are sold, paperback, audiobook, ebook. But I'll send you a signed copy if you order it from my website at kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you. And we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast. 
and wherever you get social media. Don't forget wherever you're watching or listening to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. And I'll see you next time.